Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast, over and out. You're like looking off to the side, but that's cool. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I have a little, I use this camera for other things like uh, recording like fluids and shit. Recording uh, fluids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's that's cool. So, yeah, we can just jump right in then if you want. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Well, you kind of kick things off for us because you record fluids, and that's strange. Um, <laughs> I, I think I know what you're talking about because you, you're interested in uh, mechanics, really, things like fluid fluid dynamics and scientific engineering types of things like that. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So the, the specific field is called hydrodynamics or fluid dynamics, and... Uh, I'm, I'm trying actually transitioning. You said I work in automated reasoning. I work, I've been working on that in that for like the last like year and a half or so. Like, uh, but, uh, I'm trying to move actually into biomechanics, uh, the more, uh, I, I don't have a word for kind of what I'm working in, but I, I have some possible people that I might consult, but, okay. um, yeah, if you have any questions about what that is. Um, maybe we could start by, you could just walk us through what is your technical background? Like what have you done so far and, and what is your kind of intellectual, but also practical background? Uh, so I started, I started in electronics and programming really young. I, I start I was repairing, uh, guitar equipment for my friends. Uh, they had really large watt, like Marshall lamp, like tube amplifiers and stuff. So I just started off by like replacing tubes and then uh, inspecting like transformers and stuff like that. And, uh, just there's like, there's a lot of noise involved in audio stuff. And like, people aren't exactly people, you got to like, look at a lot of nooks and crannies to like figure, like, you know, isolate that stuff. So, uh, I started programming at the same time. I was like learning like electric, like electrical audio stuff. Um, and I actually started programming like online art, uh, MMORPGs. Uh, because my parents actually would, I wanted to play MMOs. My parents were conservative Texan, uh, like, uh, uh, Calvinists and they wouldn't let me play MMOs like, you know, RuneScape or, you know, uh, Star Wars Galaxies or World of Warcraft. So I had to make my own games basically, uh, because, because it looked like I was doing work because they were text games. So you play a text game and okay. it doesn't look like there's no there's no images on the screen so, so it just looks like it just looks like you're programming which you are but it it doesn't look right. like you're you're interacting with strangers on the internet and all So that's how you, that's how you got started but what about more recently like uh the past few years kind of uh what's your what's your technical background Uh so I dropped out of I dropped out of college and immediately started working for a medical technology company I was writing like uh operating systems for hospitals and then they also they also produced like they also wrote C for uh they had like really old hardware for a lot of their stuff so uh we did like low low programming too but then um, this is in Texas is that right yeah uh uh around around the south some of it in Texas some of it elsewhere but I, I basically there was a point in my career where I was deciding whether or not I wanted to get into high level stuff or the low level stuff so like 
signal processing, semiconductors, computer engineering versus like artificial intelligence, automated theorem improving mathematics, that kind of thing. So for normal and, people, for normal people, explain the difference between high level and low level. Uh, so yeah, low level is like uh, silicon germanium, like quantum physics, and like semiconductors and transistors and you know, electrical engineering. And then high level is like mathematics, linguistics, cognitive science, you know, philosophy, that kind of thing. Right. So kind of concrete versus abstract. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. But so I, I was at a point where like I was investing a lot of time in like in, in, in uh, hardware stuff. And I actually wanted to switch into high level stuff. Uh, so I, I, I got a few gigs in uh, AI, basically symbolic AI. Um, they, they use some what they call quote unquote machine learning now, but that has kind of a machine. People say there's a difference between machine learning and symbolic AI, but really machine learning became began as what was known as connectionism or parallel distributed processing within symbolic AI. If so, symbolic AI versus like machine learning is like symbolic AI was the original. Uh, oh, oh boy, this, this gets into kind of history thing of that's okay. like, that's cool. cybernetics is a. Uh, so right. symbolic we'll, we'll AI. Go over that. We'll go over that. But for now, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 About you, your background. Yeah. So um, right. So I've I worked in uh like natural language processing and then automated reasoning. Uh I guess my specialization up until the re recently has been like runtime modeling. So formal methods, it's where you you basically you expand the search space of some sort of like topological problem or some sort of search problem, and then you try to optimize it for something. Um, and then, like, whenever that gets in a, the thing is like not not everyone's sure what their search space actually is. So that actually gets to like product design things because whenever you talk, whenever you're just like developing an AI product from like the ground up, like you're not you don't you don't start the search. I mean, unless you have a new, you know an, a search like an actual algorithm, you're starting with an algorithm rather than trying to build an algorithm for your you know doing right. but uh yeah so like most recently for businesses like what do you work on uh like i said so natural language processing uh the like well, the last one was the natural language processing automated reasoning so it's like uh systems that can like not only understand natural language but also like, like under the understanding of natural language and this gets into the history of, of, of uh, ai is that like cog cognitive science and ai are really intermixed so like my last company this was this is really like the way it was was that, like, for example, I was talking. I was talking more to like linguist. Most of the problems we were having were like linguistics and cognitive science problems, rather than computer science products. So all, all the computer science stuff has been figured out. It's mostly just a thing of representation. But um, right. I actually, I actually left that company because I, I disagree with how you're supposed to approach what we call like AI or automated reasoning or something like that. And it it has to do with uh, just the way that. I view biology working and the way that I view kind of like the universe working. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, we, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, I'll bring it, I'll bring it back around to uh, biology and the universe. Uh, okay. But in the meantime, I want to first say, I like your kimono. Is that a kimono? No, this is not a kimono. This is, this is like a cheap, this is, this is just an Asian looking uh, dress. I don't like, it's just, it's just like, it's like a boxing dress. Does that make sense? Like the boxing gowns. Okay. It's like a really, cool. it's like a cheap, it's like a cheap one that you get like, like, you know, Spencer's or whatever. It's not, oh, okay. it's not like kimono. Well, whatever it is. It, it's interesting. Uh, I yeah. would call, I, I would call it a kimono. I mean, you got, you got my drift. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Is that like your style every day or you kind of, did you dress uh, up for, work, the, for the live I stream? From, I work from home so I can like, I can like work naked. I can, you know, work my underwear. 
Uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, anyway, awesome. I was like, see, yeah, yeah. Well, I, pre I appreciate you. I appreciate you dressing up for uh, <laughs> the live stream. Yeah, yeah, just for the job you want, not the one you have, right? <laughs> so maybe could you tell us about this idea of Pacific dialectical materialism? I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a redneck from Texas. I've never read, you know, Marx or any high flown, you know, French theorists. That's actually a lie. So I, I start. I actually, I, they mentioned like Anton, Anton, Antonin Artaud and like Foucault and stuff in like this one theater class I took in college, <laughs> and that actually got me really interested because Antonin Artaud is actually uh, had a very like established like technique in his work or whatever. But mm. can I ask um, where, where did you go to university? Uh, I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to disclose that. But um, even it, though it was, you dropped it was, out. It was a Southern engineering school. Like it was a military engineering, engineering school. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that's sure. And I, I'm, not probably, prying, I'm not prying, but I'm yeah. curious why, why do you have to protect the identity of your university? Uh, just, I mean, I, first of all, like I didn't like it, so I don't want to give them credit or anything, you know, and <laughs> nice. second of all, you know, I don't know, just whatever. Fair enough. It, I mean, you figure you put two and two together, Texas and military engineering, you know, university, but right. Actually, by um, the way, I should ask you, what do you want me to call you? Uh, Anders, that's my name. Okay, yeah, that's shown here. Okay, cool, Anders. Yeah. And do you come from, does your family come from that kind of like military background or? Uh, no, we're in the oil business, son. We're, uh, <laughs> my dad was, my dad bought and sold petroleum. So they were basically, my family's a bunch of like miners and prospectors that came from like West Virginia. And then whenever Texas was founded, they came to Texas because, you know, like, there's a bunch of resources there and then oil came. So they started dairy farms. They owned the dairy farm land. And then they, you know, they started, they, they'd meet with like rednecks and like convince them to sell their mineral rights over a bottle of Jack Daniels, that kind of thing. So it's and, basically, uh, it's basically there will be blood. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, cool. that's actually really accurate. It was worse than that. that that's not <laughs> that, that, that movie's nothing, you know, like that's cool. Anyway, but, uh, okay. So, cool. so, like I'll, I'll go to another point on that is that uh, the, the engineering like culture in Texas actually developed heavily around that. One of the first applications for like, like uh, I think it was like the, the, uh, the, one of the first silicon integrated chip transistors was developed at Texas instruments and it's primary commercial. The first commercial they used, they were using it for signal processing for uh, like geology and stuff. So oil exploration, mineral and stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and then all, I've also aerospace, right? NASA stuff. Anyway, okay. but cool, cool. So, right. So, Pacific dialectical materialism. Go on. Yeah. Right. So, it's kind of weird that uh, the U.S.'s rural electrical electrification like network, which happened during the Great Depression, like basically like sprang up almost exactly at the exact same time that it did in Russia in rural Russia. And the superpowers both developed nuclear weapons at the exactly the same time. And they both came up with similar statements about thermodynamics at the same time. And they both came up with similar discoveries about, like, you know, uh, formal model, like automata theory and, you know, formal computer science and stuff. Which, you know, isn't really surprising whenever you have, you know, like, you know, such a race like that. But it's very, like, there, uh, the, the reason I put specific dialectical materialism is because I think it's obvious uh, that most of kind of the, the energy around like the world economy is around the Pacific, right? So like all of, you know, all, a lot of the raw materials are coming from Latin America, U.S., you know, Russia and China, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, 
the, you know, the st st products are designed in California and then produced in, you know, China, Taiwan, Korea and all that. Um, so I kind of see uh, the Pacific area as like a new world and Europe and the East Coast of uh, America as like the old world. Does that make sense? Sure. There's a book. There's a book called The Yankee Cowboy War, and it's about how during the Kennedy era and the in the LBJ area, all of the old like East Coast money, like the power actually shifted west to the new like aerospace, you know, uh, Howard Hughes kind of money that was springing up in Texas and Southern California, Palo Alto, that those kind of people. Okay. okay. The JPL. And so, what is the what is the main idea behind the Pacific dialectical materialism. What, what, so, is what so is like I said, on? like I was saying earlier is like, I, I'm, uh, the reason I, the reason I started writing is I, I, I'd been reading all these tankies, write These really long essays on Twitter. And I wanted to like emulate that style. So, but the thing is I didn't read Marx. So I bought Das Kapital for $4 on eBay and I read, I read Das Kapital and I like, I tried to understand his language and I was thinking about it in terms of my own kind of ecological biomechanic way of viewing things. Uh, and then I wrote that up and it actually came out to ha having kind of a coherent idea. And, um, uh, most of, most of like what I write in there is to kind of set up the core idea, which is dissipative history and then conditioning affordances. And it's kind of a describing like cyber, like cybernetic feedback relations between, you know, the, the ecology, the labor ecology and the labor itself. And like, you know, that gets into the whole like how technology shaping us, but uh, you know also just how like geography shapes us, which gets into the whole the Pacific area of region. Is that it's just it's the closest you know kind of area for all the communication to to you know to be you know firing back and forth. So, what can biomechanics teach us about the dialectic and specifically the Pacific dialectic? Uh, just okay. So, so uh, there's a Russian uh, Russian thermodynamics guy. The, the Russians are really good at thermodynamics, like statistical, like physics modeling and stuff like that. Uh, and he came up with uh, the idea of dissipative structures, uh, and he, it was re it's related to uh, like the the cellular automata model of biomorphogenesis. But the idea is that there's like there's latencies in the universe. In other words, the idea with dissipative history is that everything is kind of formed by the latency of the process that's forming it. And then also just uh, like, um, you know, things there, there's the, the latencies are, are tied to some sort of geographic or geometric area in space time. So information, information processes can only expand as, you know, it's, you know, from a central point, like at a certain speed, which means that there's no like relativity already taught this is that there's no, like there's no linear history in physics. I mean, there kind of, there is, there kind of is, but it's, 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 it's relational rather than, you know, uh, Whenever you're building distributed systems, you actually uh, there's a there's a crazy computer scientist named Carl Hewitt, and he he's actually like made extreme statements that he said like you can't even formally model distributed systems because uh, you can only do it like he has this model called the actor model, and it, it gets into like Bruno Latour's theories about actors and networks and shit. And uh, anyway, it's yeah, there's just there's no uh, there's no consistency in distributed systems because you're getting you can get conflicting information from different actors like at different times, right? Or so, even from the same I think one I think one way to summarize what you're saying, you can tell me if you agree with this or not. But are you basically trying to say that Neo China arrives from the future? Uh, I don't. Yeah, you know, Nick Land. Like again, I think I, you know, Nick Land. You, you talk to Nick Land. I, I feel kind of honored that like I'm talking to someone who's like talking to Nick Land. 
and that like I've made like fan art of him, you know, like it's kind of it's kind of strange, but uh, I don't. Well, I, 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 mean, I would say, Nick, I would say that my my live stream recognizes no uh, gradations of prestige, and I'm, oh, okay. I'm I pra I practice a very kind of lateralist orientation when it comes to looking for insight. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, don't flatter yourself, but also you're, right. you're welcome here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No, just I, I don't know how to read again. I don't. I don't know how to read that kind of stuff. It's like cabal. It's a uh, you know. It's like cabalic almost. Like I, you just pick things off, and it's like okay, right. But basically, I mean, I, it sounded like you were you were kind of getting closer to that sort of idea, but from your own biomechanical perspective. So maybe we go slow. Maybe we should go slower. And I feel like with your background, you can actually. If we go slow and stay focused, you could actually teach us something about about this idea because you were kind of getting closer to it. You were talking about how um, in low latency, highly distributed contexts, it changes well, how we yeah. think about time. Is that fair to say? Well, it, it, it's not even just low latencies, but high, like any latency at all. Like it makes sense. Like there's 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 a there's a geometry of space first of all, time. First of all, explain to people what latency means. Yeah, so latency is just like how like high latency is something slow, low latency is something really fast. And so like latencies, for example, of like internet lines, right? So right. Uh, they have, you know, they they set up high speed fiber, you know, photon fucking uh, you know, communications between the Chicago and the New York, you know, HQs of the stock trader companies because you know, the lower latencies they can get, the more they can like actually synchronize their information and stuff like that. Could you tell us what is the name of the Russian guy? Someone wants to know. Uh, it's Ilya Prigione. Just, uh, let me, uh, Ilya, Ilya, just type in Ilya, P-R-I-O-G-O-N-E. Oh, I think it's pronounced uh, Prigogine. Yeah, Prigogine, yeah. In, in terms of dissipative structures, he's the, he's the Russian thermodynamics guy that came up with that stuff. Right on. Um, okay, right. So, so go on. So, uh, you distinguish between high latency, low latency. How does that affect how we think about time? I mean, this, I mean, again, if you read again, if you read like uh, it's how we how we think about time. So, so Bergson, Bergson, and Einstein had this argument about you know what the nature of time is, and so I'm like I, I don't I don't think of it in that sense of things, and as much as how it affects like histories and how it affects processes. Because if you want to like if you want to see how it affects physical time, just read you know Einstein's stuff on relativity. Like, there's he's actually you can actually like he wrote a book that actually like uh you know, just goes through the whole you know train and ruling rods and that kind of stuff in his own words and it's actually pretty good let me ask you this is, is there a way for you with your background is there a way that it makes sense to you to talk about the future causing the past uh no okay i was just curious that's fine i mean i mean, uh, I mean like the future's anticipation so like I, I talked about this on Shawnee's stream once, like he, Prince Hubris was about quantum Bayesianism, which is like these people that think that the brain is some sort of statistical expectation computer. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, if you want to, if I feel like if you want to get into like mysticism, there's like heavier shit out there, you know, that you could relate to like engineering stuff, but you know. Well, you were good. saying, you were saying before, you were talking before about linear, nonlinear time and how linear time doesn't make well, sense. Well, that's more, it's, it, uh, it's just, Nonlinear time in the sense of how events arrive. Now, nonlinear time. I think what you're. I think what you're really getting at is like. I mean, the really the real big can of worms that opens up is like whether or not you can know like memory is correct. Because if you can, 
if you can just alter someone's memory at all time, you know, at all times, then the time becomes nonlinear for them because time just becomes this kind of ribbon you're kind of pulling through them. So, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the kind of scenario I think of whenever I think of nonlinear time is like, uh, you know, some evil demon, you know, manipulating, you know, right. how you. Okay. You know, how about this then? What, tell us, help us understand what is a dissipative structure exactly? Right. So, uh, just so like, you know, entropy. So you, you drop, you know, if you, if, if you were never, every time you should be seeing like crystals going, growing, right. They kind of grow out in these trees that, that were, you know, uh, uh, you know, either increase or reduce surface area according to whatever properties and all that, um, uh, corrosion, you know, forms or, you know, for, spreads kind of around the area. There's these things called a uh, tin whiskers and they're actually these like microscopic little like atomic buildups of like uh, tin and other metals like silver that'll like literally like they think it's sometimes they think it's like actually tunneling like out of the chips and stuff like that. Uh, so everything's dissipating all the time, you know, like, you know, nations split up, you know, the seas fall into the, into could, the cliff. You could say, you could say rhizomatic. Uh, are, I mean, no? a rhizome, you like, you're, you're like the rhizome, a rhizome's like a plant, like a plant, uh, you know, thing that's more of a bio. I can I can do the biology stuff later, but I, I think you know I'm kind of going to start slow here. The, you know, once you get to biology, you're talking about like you know, like even more nonlinear or whatever. Well, okay, but, I'm, I got a sense that the concept of the rhizome is fairly consistent with what you're saying about dissipative structures. But no need to get sidetracked. So, what what is so important about dissipative structures to you? Um, it's it's a fairly I mean it's it's a fairly totalitarian model of physics uh, and material history. It um it describes pretty I mean it's it, it's it's not a calculating mechanism like you know it's it's more it's just like a you know heuristic about entropy and how things uh, react and build up. Uh, there's actually a company I saw a long time ago that was making something like thermodynamic computers where they're making computers by like burning something or something like that or by doing something. I can't remember what it was, but um, you're you're asking about dissipative structures. What I think about them. Or yeah, what, like why is, why are they significant? Why is that? What what can that teach? Oh, us? so so like in in my piece where I talk about uh, the structure, like structures of dissipated. So it's, the re, it's a dissipative structure. So entropy is a given, but it the idea of a dissipative structure is that it unfolds according to a certain pattern, right? You know, trees grow like trees. You know, you know, you know, mountains turn into you know valleys, through, you know, with rivers and all that. Um, so it leaves behind a kind of trace. So in my uh, one of the things that I note in the Pacific uh, dialectical materialism piece or whatever was that uh, uh, we didn't like we we emerged from the evolutionary tree of life, but we actually didn't conceive of it. Like we that the structure didn't the structure as a as an abstract structure didn't actually exist until we had developed ideas of taxonomy. In other words, we developed taxonomy before we developed the evolutionary taxonomy. Which is kind of you know like that. That's that. That's one of the important ideas of dissipated structures. And dissipated structures may not be able to realize, like in a they 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 may not be comprehended until like until the 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 means comprehended uh, are acquired. And the way that you look back at them is affected by you know how you acquired those means, right? So all of the all of the different you know form you know formulations in biology and natural philosophy that led Darwin and the German naturalists and other stuff to make all these you know. Uh, 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 philo, you know, genetic, uh, you know, statements, they were based on, you know, a tradition of trying to find hierarchical patterns in nature and stuff like that.
Um, right. Okay. So do you, is it reasonable to understand societies as dissipative structures? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're, uh, I mean, I'm not making assumptions about your background, but you know, we're, we're, we're what, you know, or I guess you're not America in England, but you sound American. So, uh, yeah, I'm American. Know, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we dissipated from, uh, Europe, you know, cause of religious <laughs> wars and stuff like, you know, like people yeah. dissipate, right. You know, families, you know, break up, reunite and form, you know, you know, children crawl out of, you know, you know, women's wombs and that kind of thing, you know, like it's whatever. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, and you were saying at the end there that there's something about dissipative structures in which what emer- what emerges in later stages of the dissipation uh, kind of changes uh, how you look back on earlier stages of the yeah and, and and vice versa. So it also gets to the whole chaos theory and nonlinear systems of you know initial conditions changing the outcome like miraculously. So like you know if you grow if you never like especially the the, the dissipative structures that Prigion just you know studied were specifically. Uh, like chemical chemical reactions, and then there was another guy who actually made like came up with a formulation for actually doing computing with that, like analog computing. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's sensitivity to initial conditions, uh, the, the whole chaos spiel, uh, and um, it doesn't really the whole the, my statement about dissipative uh, systems in history doesn't really say much other than just acknowledging that, Hey, ma- you know, material history is dissipated and people, you know, a lot of people forget that and treat, you know, material history as if it's, you know, you know, since Hegel and since all these other, you know, you know, intellectuals have come along, they've, you know, talked about, you know, uh, you know, they've, they've tried to, they've tried to like treat things that are alive, like that, you know, shouldn't be treated like they're alive in some kinds of poetic sense. So it's just kind of a matter of bringing it down to the nitty gritty. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so are you a Marxist or are you like, an edgelord neo-reactionary um i um uh, the, the only i mean like marx is really effect i mean marx is really effective right like marx i again i didn't read marx until like like literally like a week and a half ago um so i'm not a marxist i i wouldn't consider myself a neo-reactionary either because they're like like i i made a statement that they're all like they're all like urbanite hedonists like they're like they all they all like just keep bitching and moaning about urbanites and headness, but they're all urbanite headness. Like, you know, haven't you noticed that? It's an anyway. interesting point. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, there's some truth to that. And there, there's some guy that was in the NRX movement that like wrote an article it was like, like neo reactionaries are like complaining about cities and they won't leave them. Like, just leave, you know, like exit, right? Right. I mean, it's there, there, you know, exit is a computer command. Type it in, you know. <laughs> do you, do you like living in the South? I love it. It's cheap. The people are nice. Like, uh, I went to like Asia, Asia. I'm not going to say people are rude in Asia, but like my, my, my only like heavy urban experience is uh, whenever I was like consulting in Asia and like, uh, I just, it's just, you know, the, the air quality is bad. You just feel in your body. You got to live next to like something that's like, like a forest or, you know, the, like an ocean, you know, like, right. I think I might, I might end up moving to the South actually of the U S just because it's cheap. I don't know if you know much about my situation, but I'm leaving my job and I'm leaving England and uh, we're going to have to resettle. And uh, yeah, we're looking we're looking at maybe the south of the U.S. Yeah, dude, it's it's cheap. It seems Uh, like it seems like a good place to go if you want to be like a weirdo intellectual and just kind of like drop out of society and go uh, like go down some like weird vectors and like live on the Internet. Like the south seems like a good place to do that because you're kind of away from. Yeah, all, all the like coastal urban. Uh, whenever I talk like, to whenever I talk, 
Yeah, whenever I talk to like like Silicon Valley like tech people, they all talk about the same thing. Whereas like all the people who are like in the south of the Midwest like don't talk to each other. So like they don't they don't meet at cafes, you know, hacker spaces and shit. So like the guy the guy in the Midwest that's like like just like rediscovering ether theory and like proving Einstein wrong, that guy isn't talking to the fucking Ruby on Rails dev, you know, in Silicon Valley. But uh, yeah, it's right. you know different folks, different strokes and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, my plan is to just live on the internet so I can be physically located anywhere and then do this kind of stuff and have have whatever communities I want to yeah, have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's basically I've been I've basically been living that way since like my teens and like that's <laughs> that's a good way to to live. You're happy? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I the reason I got into biomechanics is cuz I I don't want to say I have chronic pain, but I kind of do and like it's mainly just from like leaning over, bending over a computer for like 20 years like, you know, <laughs> something you've, you know, number of my life and like, you know, just trying to be more aware of my body and stuff like that. But like, other than that, you know, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I forgot to ask, how old are you, if you don't mind? Uh, I'm 25. Cool. Cool. So, uh, one of the things we, I think chatted about possibly talking about is the fact that you are a little bit younger. I think you have some takes on kind of the younger generations. Yeah, so I really, I really, like I said, I really like a uh, pine tree Twitter, like the eco fascist, because uh, they're they they put their their mouth where their money is or whatever. Are you, you know, an like, eco fascist? Uh, I mean, so like the ecology is already pretty fascist. I mean, unless you want to believe, unless you want to get into like whole like mushroom entities and you know and like plants, you know, talking to humans and stuff, like <laughs> you know, you know, nature is generally fairly Darwinian. So I mean, like eco fascists like have point it's just a matter of whether or not like it's as dire as they think they are it is and it's pretty damn dire um the i mean like the worst thing so i have a friend that's actually an aquatic toxicologist from canada and uh he he like he doesn't research one like impurity in the water he researches like millions and they just the, the list just keeps growing you know and it's just it ain't looking good so uh i mean so you're, you know you you're- can't you're bearish on global warming. You think it's going to get real bad real quick? I mean, again, I, I, I care less about global warming. Like, there's, there's fucking, you know, the turn of the goddamn frogs gay, you know? I mean, that's not a joke, you know? Like, Alex Jones is right about, like, like 70% of things. It's the 30% of things that he, like, fucks up <laughs> and, like, you know, gets... Like, the, the, the endocrine disruption thing is a huge thing because plastics are, you know, all part of a lot of our lives. But, uh, yeah, so... I generally see the younger generation go for the more extreme stuff, but also the stuff that's more immediately pressing to their survival. Cause you know, the eco-fascist concerns are real concerns. It's not like, it's not as much like the white identity stuff where, I mean, like, well, the eco-fascism stuff is tied to white identity, but it's because they believe that the race is like very important to their survival. So like, uh, you know, th- they are concerned about survival. Whereas, you know, I feel like Richard Spencer is, is more, he, he kind of like, you know, wants to sell books or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I know the distinction you're trying to make. So yeah. is it, are you kind of saying that as a 25 year old, is your sense that generation Z makes up a, a, a portion of the pine tree Twitter community? Like there, there's overlap there. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen it's generally, it's generally like older folks who have already like gone and lived off the land or are calling on Twitter and showing it off. Or it's younger folks who are like, I live in the burbs and I want to like, I want to go live like John Muir or like Christopher Candlest or whatever. 
So you met people from Pine Tree Twitter, like in real life, or in uh, that community? so funny story about that. I was actually one of the like first famous trip fags on uh like the 4chan outdoor board. So I, whenever I dropped out of college, I went and lived in the woods of Huntsville, Texas, for like six months working for a furniture store and living in my car in the woods by yourself. And then, yeah, yeah. And, uh, that was right. Yeah. That was right before I worked for the, the medical company. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it changes your perspective on like, like life, you know, living in the outdoors. And like, I think there's, you know, a huge disconnect between not, not even just the old spiritual level, but from a very real biomechanical level. So there's like a, there's a field called, uh, psychoacoustics and it actually studies the relationship between human psychology and neuroscience and the mechanical airwaves that create acoustics and what they found was that like natural sounds uh, actually increase the lifespan of rats they're living in cages and you know in natural you know or not in, in laboratory conditions and uh, they found that uh, living in a city is like it's above cannabis use and above child you know you know childhood abuse uh, living in a city is actually a higher risk factor than either of those for development of schizophrenia and bipolar. So I think there's actually a very real biomechanic like disrupt going on at the cellular level in regard, you know, there's, you know, we've seen this with birds, like, you know, developing fucking differently, you know, they're, they're beach shortening and adapting. But uh, I I think from like a very mechanical level, like uh, the city like is messing with some very primal, you know, metabolic processes. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's turning the birds gay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean and then also also just things like smog too and you know yeah <clears throat> yeah okay so so you're kind of you kind of have one foot in pine tree twitter but you're not like hardcore into that no i mean i like look if, if they came up you know if some guys came up to me and asked you know asked them to like work on their farm you know or do tech stuff for them i'd do it for them um i, I don't agree i, I don't i think i think a union between left environmentalists and right env- environmentalists would be uh, like for, for the betterment of the whole environmental cause. But um, yeah. Uh, so are you more, are you more on the left or more on the right? Would you say? I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm an opportunist, you know, like I, 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 uh, I, I've never voted. I, um, I was like, I was raised, you know, Calvinist kind of like libertarian, like, you know, uh, you know, Gen X Reaganite kind of parents. Um, but you know, I, I like I see I see I see as politics is down, downstream from uh, biology and geology. So I, I kind of see everything in geologic time. So what is the main causal factor of geology on politics? So this gets back to a little dissipative history in that if you understand dissipative history, there's no central single historical subject. There's just kind of points on this big infinite plane, right? So you know, there's no. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a prime. There are large movers in history that affect a lot of things, but I don't, th- I don't think there's like, you know, what the Catholics would call a prime mover. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very Calvinist in that regard. I see. I see. But maybe because uh, we haven't talked too much about geology. I'm just curious, like what 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 do you, what do you think is the most uh, underrated or least understood uh, implication that geology has for thinking about politics? Uh, so sources of energy. So uh I have, I have a really good book about the development of the petrochemical industry in Texas and Russia and the Middle East. And uh, mainly, and I think, I think like Reza Negastari got onto this and like, if you heard about the, the whole, like the Middle East is alive or something like that, but 
you know, there, you know, there are, you know, there's pockets, there's pockets of like potential energy, right? You know, uh, every, all the energy comes from some source, you know, whether that's the sun or gravitational energy or whatnot, right? Uh, I guess, you know, if you really want to get, you know, like crazy is if, you know, if you just imagine kind of universe in terms of gradients, you know, so gravitational wells, like, you know, the earth being one gravitational well, and then the gravitational well, of the earth being the sun and the earth's, you know, the sun's magnetosphere as another gravitational well. And you could, you know, trace that all up to whatever super gravitational, what we're all part of kind of thing. Have you ever read John Michael Greer? Uh, I actually have. I've actually, yeah, I, I actually, a book crossed my palms at one point of his and uh i i don't like him i think he's he's kind of an idiot oh really he never talks he never talks about anything specific like he'll talk he talks about the same stuff that like the lindy and the kind of the nasim talib crowd type but like if you actually read his his, the content of his of his articles like they're just completely like it's the same thing just repeated over again oh there's there's cycles in history that we're going through a bad cycle and the people think that bad things gonna happen it's like yeah we understand that what do we do next? You know, like, well, I think he has some stuff on that. Like, do you, well, do you buy the basic kind of peak oil narrative? Uh, it depends. So like, I don't know, people act like there aren't central planners in this fucking economy and there are central planners. So, uh, and people act like the central planners don't take into account things like resource, you know, things they do. Uh, you mean, you mean like planners at big, uh, geological. I'm talking about like no. I'm talking about like the Rand. I'm talking about the Rand Corporation. I'm talking about the Club of Rome. All the the kind of people that the Illuminati type, you know, there, crowd. Right, about. but the, there is a kind of distributed system of corporate actors that. Well, and, and also military mainly because you know, you know, the people in the know the view the Earth as kind of like a big you know agricultural plant, right? You know, like you know, it's you know, it's giant farm to to the rich, right? Right. Okay. Um, someone wants to know if you can draw a diagrammatic connection between dissipation and convergence. Uh, I mean, converge. So like there's convergence, there's like, uh, so there's like attractors, right? So like the whole, like convert, like parallel, you know, parallel development. So the whole like thing of, you know, uh, Russia and America developing a mass, you know, electrical economy and nuclear power at the same time. Uh, you know, they're the, the whole, that's why I brought up the whole condition of affordances is, you know, uh, like what, 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 like to kind of, to, to bring it to like, kind of like the, to like what, what we're like experiencing right now is that we, we kind of, I don't, the cold war arms race never really ended. Like the, the space race wasn't a space race as much. It was like a God race, right? Because like they weren't developing like, just they weren't just developing you know space exploration just you know for fun and you know howdy doody it's a defense you know scenario right so like uh you know it goes for everything bio you know biochemical stuff uh i'm almost absolutely sure that darpa is working on a project to make nanobots that are indistinguishable from normal pathogens and then they're going to hide that in the like populace of America because okay, we're going deep conspiracy theory now. No, 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 no. Here's here. Let me explain something. So, okay. So get this. So say you had a pathogen, say you had a pathogen or what looks like a pathogen. And you find out, you find out that it's actually like something that China engineered to like spy on the American public or to like affect their DNA in some way. So if, if China was good enough to where they can engineer that to be like natural looking, how would you tell that from a normal pathogen? Right. Well, you, 
you can't anymore in this world. So how do you how do you prevent that? You do you prevent that the same way you prevent that computers. What you do is you install a backdoor on, on, on all the computers so that you know you're the first so that so that you're now the first people to know when the systems are being hacked. So I think they're gonna they actually have an initiative called the National Immune System, which is actually already kind of describing approaching this. So is this ready. public? Yeah, just search up the National Immune System DARPA. So do you have but do you have any evidence for the claim that DARPA is preparing to infect us uh, with nanoorganisms? Oh, uh, just some spooky stories from uh, <laughs> Los Alamos. If you want to. Okay, so that's spe- you're speculating. A different time. To be clear, you're guessing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm speculating, yeah. Okay, that's okay. You're, that, you're more than welcome yeah, to speculate. Yeah. That, yeah. Was quite, that was quite an interesting uh, speculation. I just wanted to clarify for listeners that uh, we're not spreading that as fact necessarily. I mean, I, I am like in a, like, this needs to get out kind of way, but okay. Uh, what are the other most significant unknown things you think are going on? Uh, I'm almost absolutely sure that quantum computers were developed before the 70s. I think they were developed. I think I think what happened is they got John von Neumann and all the other Hungarian Martians in a room after the Manhattan <laughs> Project. And I think they said, hey, that was great. Let's let's keep it up. And notice notice how they're 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 they're. Notice how like their research got really quiet for those ten years after forty five, right? You know, so like I, I I don't I don't I don't I think they're you know whenever whenever you're talking about the laws of nature being a you know a defense issue, you know, like I don't think current you know you know the military physics is obviously way ahead of what you know civilian stuff is or whatever, but like I think it's even beyond what we can even think it's possible. But anyway. Interesting. What I do know is I've heard I've heard uh, I've heard stories of like uh, multi deca megahertz uh, processors in the early '60s, and that's whenever they were still clocking in at like you know whatever, like only a few like ten something hertz or you know hundred hertz or something like that. So interesting. So do you, th- from your experience doing automated reasoning, given that that's kind of your technical expertise right now? Oh yeah. No, I think, I think, yeah, no, I think they came up with this a long time ago. And another thing too, is I don't, I don't think necessarily America was the first nation to come up with it either. So like another theory I have is that it's possible that a previously developed civilization like India or China could have developed like, for example, like, like Boolean algebra and circuit switching before we did. Uh, right. And like, they would have a defense reason to hide the development of anything like that. And I know this gets into like ancient aliens territory, but like, you know, <laughs> the, the conspiracy war world is weird for a reason. And it's weird because it's partially true. And because truths related to like governance in the modern era of like, you know, nano machines and nuclear weapons is really weird. Right. Um, someone has a question. What is the opposite of dissipation? Uh, uh, like a uh, fucking like coagulation, but then again, there's also kind of not. It's like you know, what's the opposite of entropy? Well, you know, I guess like you know, satori, right? Satori? I thought it was negentropy. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, negentropy. I'm talking about like 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 entropy as like a as a universal law. I'm not talking about like like neg- negentropics and like like in the like the modeling sense. Right. Okay. Someone was asking if the opposite of dissipation, it would not be something like emergence. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of same coin, but not really opposite. Okay. Um, interesting. So from being a 25 year old, tell me other things about the youth today. 
Do you think that they're they're becoming they're going to become more like reactionary in response to the cultural politics of the tech? Is no, that... they like gaming. They really like gaming. I think I think uh, I think they're going to get really. I think I think the the most interesting fronts are trans politics, uh, all the politics related to like. I guess I guess the, I, mean, I mean there's a big divisor between like socialism and capitalism, and I think the main there's a big fear, especially among American Protestants, of like everything becoming like the six 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 AI, you know, Lucifer machine, like controlling everything. Like there was an actual there's an actual Texas preacher that like had this whole mythology about how like the six 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 like is a computer chip and how like they're implementing like a system right now. That's anyway, but you know that's that's part of their eschatology and it's really that's really tied up with how they view uh uh you know socialism is that you know it has a potential to turn into like a big kind of matrix type scenario wait 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 hang on all right let's this is interesting you're you're saying this is a popular idea among the youth i i see that i see that like in reactions in reactions to socialism versus capitalism whenever you go far enough down the, like the tech rabbit hole or like far enough down the discussion of, of what's going to happen in the future it eventually comes down to people saying well i don't want the ai machine to like kill my son because it costs people less you know that kind of thing. Right. So what were you saying though about 666? Oh, so there was like a there was a preacher in Texas who came up with this popular meme called the 666 beast machine and it's just like referencing <laughs> King of the Hill, but it's like it's like this machine that collects all of your information. It's like Descartes' evil demon, but it's like the IRS and it like like it's just like it's like it's like constantly injecting you with like, you know, fluoride and like gay hormones and stuff like Turning that. Turning the frogs gay. Yeah, yeah, but so yeah. is this like a right wing libertarian preacher? Yeah, kind of no, it's a huge. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's actually a really big thing. Like I found, I, I knew about it a long time ago, but like I, I knew it was big enough because I started seeing books of it in random bookstores around Austin, Texas. Uh, so it's, it's big enough that people are buying his books. Like, and are you saying that like kids today are kind of taking on that idea? I mean, kids today, kids today know what's going on. Like. So I, I talked to my little brother about like this stuff. He he understands completely that you know how AI is going to affect his future and that everything. <laughs> so here here's my here's my thing. So AI AI is not going to be the big thing. So like uh, one one of the other kind of theories I have is the difference between circuit switching and computation. So do you know? What, okay, so circuit switching. A lot of the algorithms developed in like servers and telecommunication networks were originally developed for like uh, power relay stations to keep the tele like the the you know the the telecommunications lines running and stuff like that. And they needed to make it so that if one of them went down, the whole thing wouldn't go down. That kind of thing. Um, so like Claude Shannon, the guy that you know invented you know information theory and all the other uh, guys like, like him, like there's an equivalent in Russia. They claimed that they invented Boolean you know switching of circuits, but like. Uh, circuit switching. I'll give you a good example. So, like, is a video card a computer? Well, yeah. I mean, it computes graphics. Does a video card have CPU? Well, I mean, like, you know, the classical video card doesn't have a CPU. It has a, 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 a you know, a VGA, and that's just doing a bunch of you know matrix matrix operations and stuff. And you know, it's it's, it's all a data flow architecture. So it's more like it's rather than being like this like the central CPU that's you know that's taking instructions and you know writing to RAM and stuff like that. It's more like, it's more like a, a phone switch operator, you know, the, the, the second you know, the plug in and pull out, you know, like I, I'm trying to describe something called data flow architectures, but 
Um, so in biology, you actually want, so computation on the other hand is not circuit switching. Computation is, um, you're having, you're, you're, you're describing some mathematical formulism and then you're, you're, you know, you're counting beans to like, you know, go through the, the process. And generally you're using some kind of like discrete math, you know, entity, like a counter or a register, you know, something like that. Uh, biology, uh, generally wants circuit switching because circuit switching is cheaper and it's faster. Computation. So most of the so, like for example, the higher processing parts of the brain evolved out of like the vertebra and and the reflexes and stuff like that. Uh, it's why language is so tied up with like manual expression, you know, uh, you know, with you know, with hand signs, facial expression, and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, the 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 body can afford the body can afford to to have Freudian slips, but it can't afford to not have a pulse keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So circuit switching circuit switching is I see circuit switching as like things generally optimized towards getting the work done in circuit switching rather than getting it through like computation, which is like having having to s- separate and store separate you know uh, you know knowledge bases, having to encode and decode things. Um, okay. That makes sense. Circuit, circuit switching is, is the lower latency and computation is kind of a higher latency. And is it is it a true fact that biologically, like biological systems do in fact have more circuit switching than computation? Or is that kind of just a metaphor as you say? It? It's um well, so that's this is where you get into the question of can natural systems store uh symbols? And that's actually something that's actually kind of something that I'm doing as like my own personal research is like uh there's something called ecological cognitive science, which was kind of invented by James J. Gibson. But uh, since then, it's been developed by like these Japanese cyberneticists, and what they're specifically studying is like mortality and um, like like mortal organisms. Actually, mortal organisms actually are more likely to achieve species immortality because they can sacrifice like short like resources. But like. The question, the question is, can, can the ecology store symbols? And like one of the things that I mentioned in the Pacific uh, dialectical materialism is that labor ecologies are the unit of reproduction in biology. So like, for example, like Walmart's reproduce, you know, pool halls reproduce, bars reproduce, you know, you know, all the any time that we do things that we, we have some sort of affordance that we act out upon that's that's like a, a stable attractor that generally like reproduces because it's, you know, it's it's helpful, you know, to a lot of things. But like, um yeah, there's okay. I mean, this we, is good. This is we good. Already, stuff. Uh, well, so my goes to my point is we already know that we already know that we can store symbols in our environment because we can write numbers on pieces of paper. We can write, you know, Google documents. We you know search the things on the internet. So we know for a fact environments store symbols that aren't like necessarily stored immediately in the human's brain, right? Like okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Right, but you're kind of saying that uh, circuit switching. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, is that true for cultures too? Do you think for like building for building cal- culture? Is yeah. It- I mean, so like a good example, I guess, is like Trump. Is that Trump? Like Trump? There's no computation with Trump. It's all circuit switching. You know, like it's it's, it's all like you know, you're either for or against kind of thing. You know, I, that's and a good all, point. I know. You know like it's, a, it's, a, it's an immediate visceral. It's an immediate like visceral. You know reaction you know I and not only that but if you try to if you try to compute like okay is this good long term like you don't no one hasn't like the information i guess to make that you know ju- judgment call maybe i'm wrong but like if, you know if someone can prove that they did you know that'd be insightful to me 
No, that's so that's 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 quite intuitively sensible and, and appealing to me that I can see what you're saying, though. I have a question. I mean, one one could say that is the difference not really just a matter of simplicity versus complexity. So like, uh, you're no, basically- no, 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 because circuits because because circuit switch. The, the thing with circuit switching is that uh, with circuit switching, a lot of times your system is already previously designed to be complex. Right. So like an integrated circuit that's doing data flow operations had required a lot of computation and intelligence to produce circuit switching is now, okay, you have an intelligently designed system and now it can like start, you know, you know, changing things. And, and not only that, but like, like, uh, you know, all, all of the things that enable computation in the first place, all the things that lead to state in what in computer science, like memory uh, are all results of like, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, stabilities in the nonlinear, you know, uh, circuits at the low level, right? So there's just like there's by you know, by stability is is a thing in like a in a like gate memory and stuff like that. This is how it works at the, the actual like analog level, right? So you could kind of say that someone who's let's say highly educated, a really kind of sophisticated thinker, when you ask them a question about what they think about something, you know, their mind actually starts. Uh, doing all these different co- computations, really, they're kind of they're cal- they're like calculating. Well, what's going to happen if I say this word? What's going to happen if I add right? This but word? then some people, but then a lot of people like listen to their gut, and that that like generally those people are actually like are actually usually a lot cooler because it actually works a lot but, like better for them. So my right. So my question here is: Is it are you kind of saying that the person who operates on a circuit switching model? they're not necessarily more simple or less complex is what you're saying. They could be just as complex and sophisticated. No, I mean, they're, they're generally, so, I mean, there's an, I mean, there's the, the name for it, which is like, you know, uh, in, like people with interior monologues versus people who think in images versus people who think in kinesthetics, right. That kind of thing. Um, I mean, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I have, I have some training in cognitive science just because of like the stuff that I've worked in. Um, right. I, I, I minored in neuroscience, uh, but I mainly, I like mainly thing I was like blue was like e, like like literally the electrical stuff or EEG stuff. Other than that, I don't I don't know much about that. Right. No, I'm not expecting you to, but I just mean in your terms of your models that you are familiar with. Are would you say that like someone like is someone like Trump is his circuit switching mach- machine equally complex and sophisticated as the compu- <laughs> as the the computational machine? of like the urban educated sophisticate. So this is where you get into the labor ecology, right? Is so I've, I've kind of isolated, you know, parts of this system and be like, okay, this is computing. This is circuit switching. Uh, but really whenever you start getting into like talking about presidents or whatever, uh, like the president is like kind of the Ottoman of a larger Brahmin of like, I mean, like he's not doing a lot of his own computation. Like he has advisors, you know, coming in and saying things. I, you know, I, I guess according to that, yeah, Trump is a, is a circuit switcher rather than a computer because, like, people say he has this gut intuition kind of thing and he just kind of acts off that, which sounds about right, you know. Right. But what I'm getting at is, you know, OK, so one of the debates about Trump is how conscious is he of the games that he's playing? You know, is he basically just a buffoon who says what's in his gut and he has a knack for that or is he actually playing a fairly high level conscious game where he knows that his style has certain effects on certain parts of his base? And, you know, is he playing four dimensional chess in other words, or is he just a kind of uh, nincompoop? So like what you're saying possibly could mean that he's actually 
he's actually quite a sophisticated machine. It's just a different kind of, it operates on a different model than the calculating, computing kind of uh, educated type of person. I mean, maybe. Again, again, like the thing I emphasize with like presidents and like a large institutional thing is now you're getting into a, you're getting to a system where the conditioning affordances are extremely heavy. In other words, he's being, he's being conditioned a lot by his position and, you know, yeah, I don't know. So explain this idea of conditional affordances. What do you mean by oh, that? Oh, okay. So condition, con- there's conditioning affordances or conditioned affordances. So affordance is an idea from James J. Gibson, who's the guy who invented uh, like ecological cognitive science or e- the idea of ecological perception. And what he originally was designing for was cockpits and affordance was things like, okay, so how far is your arm from the trigger? You know, how comfortable are your legs? You know, like how... How, what's the radius of uh, you know your vision that you can see through the window? That's that's affordance. That's what your your ecology can afford you. And what do you notice? This is again, it's a chironic relation between the ecology and the user. Uh, so you know the point points of affordance are no longer in one single object; they're in the whole you know system working in conjunction. Uh, condition affordances is just n- noticing that you know labor ecology shape labor. So like, I don't know if you've like 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 for example night guard watchmen's are almost always overweight. And the reason why is because they have uh, like literal metabolic issues with staying up all night. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, and not, not only that, but I'm sure there's, there's all sorts of social factors into like someone becoming a night watchman because that's not exactly the most ideal like position in the world. So like the question is what kind of person becomes a night watchman, you know? Uh, so, you know, what kind of, what kind of, you know, what kind of ecology produces a person that kind of, you know, that wants to be a night watchman. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, dude, I have a, a question for you. Uh, people often jokingly call me a Fed. It's kind of like a running joke. People have this conspiracy theory that I'm, I like work with the CIA or something like that. Um, <laughs> but in this case, there's literally a card on your desk that says FBI. Are you aware of that? Yeah. This is not going to help the conspiracy theories against me. Yeah, but it's it's the Twilight Zone one. <laughs> nice. Walker. Okay. Okay. Someone someone in the chat asked about that. Yeah, I was like, "Oh shit, am I actually talking with someone from the actual FBI?" I'm in deep. No, shit. it's an X Files card. I love that show. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I, I I liked especially what you're saying about the difference between circuit switching and computation. I think that's a fruitful uh, distinction. Yeah, and that's, that's actually going to have a huge impact because, like, humans, the way the humans kind of humans operate at a circuit switching level in terms like metabolic processes and and like, but like all the social type of stuff, like Marx's analysis and just how you conduct yourself in reference to other social actors and like within a, you know, office setting, that's, that's all kind of computation, right? You know, not only, not only just at the individual level, but you you can kind of see the, 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 you know, an office is is kind of a billiard ball computer of, you know, employees going back and forth or their desks and stuff like that. But it's going to be, I think that idea is actually becoming more prevalent Simply because, uh, like, computer hardware is getting like there's actually there's a bottle there's something called a von Neumann bottleneck, which is actually like the latency bottleneck ta- I'm talking about between circuit switching and and com- computation, and that's like that's the the uh, fucking Moore's law. That's really only like being limited by mostly the the von Neumann paradigm. Data flow computing, you can get like way better performance for domain specific applications out of like a more circuit switching data flow architecture model. And that's another thing that I work on, but uh, like the, the approach I have for it, like the, so I'm using these kind of like, I've been using this kind of like flowery, you know, like, like made up like, like liberal arts Marxian language to describe things, but like the, the specific stuff that I, um, 
theory uh, domain that I like look in for the continuous, like the circuit switching type stuff is called continuous automata algebra. And uh, anyway, this is just, just this mathematics is developed in the late sixties by this guy named John Rhodes. And he, he basically was studying, he was studying uh, like uh, any system with transitions. So like, uh, you know, metabolic pathways. And he found like a, a unifying algebraic uh, uh, way to reason about them. And it, it, it works for like non, it works for like abstract things too. So like, like uh, different, like, like stuff like, re, you know, real analysis and other group theoretic crap or whatever, but. Okay. And so what's the biggest advance in automated reasoning that's coming down the pike that people don't understand enough? Um, I think, I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the things I've been surprised by is just how, is actually AI, uh, I think AI is actually, like I said, AI is actually being slowed publicly and that it's being developed at a military and private actor level way beyond that, which is available publicly. Oh yeah, um, that's what you think? Yeah, but going back to like the, the new developments in automated reasoning and symbolic AI or AI in general is just that, like I said, the last reason, the reason I left my last like job, which was mainly in symbolic and AI and automated reasoning is I wanted to get into biomechanics um, and I think because I just I just think that everything's going that way more of the data flow type stuff, um, you know, even even just how people consume media, like there's a whole like, you know, some people are movie people, some people are book people, book, 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 you know, a book experience is very much, you know, a very computational type thing, you know, a movie is, is very data flowy. And then like drug trips are like extremely data flowy, you know, you know, circuit switchy. Right. So. I mean, I, I think in general culture, like since the sixties and, and, you know, electronics and, 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 you know, the hippie era, I think everything is becoming more circuit switchy, you know, like McLuhan said. So. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking of McLuhan listening, listening to what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. I'll have to chew on that. Are there any other kind of like political lessons or implications from this, from this distinction that, that you draw? I find that, find that intriguing. Uh, one of the most, one of the, uh, things I see on the horizon with regards to like the whole genetic engineering thing is that the possibility that genetic engineering might actually like revitalize, uh, racial conflict. And the reason why is because different races have different genetics. And so there's going to be more incentive for one race to develop genetic therapies for their own kind than another. And that's not just among like, you know, blacks or whites. It's also Asians, uh, Hispanics. But the interesting part is that, you know, like, uh, we're increasingly going towards a society that's multiracial. So what does that mean whenever you have, like, your majority of your population is multiracial? Does that mean you're you're selling more, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're selling more genetic therapies to the ones that are multiracial just because it's, more, you know, more convenient to produce that. You know, our, our niche genetic pool is going to, you know, have to struggle for their own, you know, genetic therapy, you know, stuff that, is, you know, whenever it's incompatible with their material or whatnot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a gen- I'm not a geneticist by any, you know, degree or whatever, yeah. but it's, it's fun to think about. Do you do any kind of like DIY biohacking kind of shit? Uh, I actually do. I have, I have a, so I, I keep a yeast culture. Um, I, there's a, there's a guy I follow named Adam, Adam Ansky. He's like a Russian uh, automata theorist. And he actually, what he does is he, uh, he like, he programs slime mold. And I was thinking about doing that with the yeast. I also, I also collect a, like fungus spores. So I have some pine spores, pine, pine mushroom spores, and then some uh, puffball spores and then i have i keep like a like like 
this little like bark fungus as a pet kind of, um, I, I do, I work on, I mean, I've been wanting to get into analog I'm getting into analog computing. I actually made, I made a, uh, like my own like semiconductor recently with a quartz crystal. And then I'm trying to work on the mathematics to like, to like get stability out of it and like make like larger, like a circuit, larger circuit out of it with like, you know, with like memory and stuff and do like make a data flow architecture out of it. Um, I have a question. If, but, if like, let's say I, I had like a big compound, like I lived in a massive house with like a community of a bunch of people. Uh, could you design or engineer like crazy systems uh, that are like biomechanical, but also digital around the house to kind of like supercharge the community and make everyone uh, function better and more productive, like make a kind of utopian society with your knowledge? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. Right. But you know, what it, would you do? Like what would you do if I gave you a compound and you could program anything you want? Be, I mean, it'd be, it'd be fun. The, the proposition again, the question is like, are you a fed that kind of thing? You know, like, are you, well, just are hypothetically, you, what are you inviting me? Are you inviting you know you know little kitties to your to your house kind of thing? But yeah, no, the, the proposition. I'm just saying hypothetically, what would you yeah, do? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I'd be down. It'd be interesting. But what would you do? What would your proposals be? Um, I'd probably like uh my main what I'm what I'm really interested. I guess what I've been kind of talking around with the whole like ecological cognition is. Uh, specifically on the question of whether simple systems are transferred like between species. So obviously there's co there's co evolution there's co evolution and codependence of evolution between things like you know bees and flowers and stuff. And obviously there's there's some sort of relation going on between us and agriculture, right? But can can get the actual can we actually like, get the is it, it are there actual simple systems to where we can like we could we could start talking to yeast that kind of thing? Uh, that that would be interesting. Um, yeah, that's cool. Do you, do you pay much attention to blockchain and stuff like that? Uh, so one of the companies I worked for was, it's a, it's a really big meme right now to like just kind of slap some product on to a blockchain and then like sell it. Right. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just distributed systems. Right. It's but, maybe, but maybe if I were to make a compound and I had a bunch of people on it, maybe we could generate slime molds that would be like their own people. Yeah, and we would give them identities, and then what we do is we make a distributed autonomous organization, yeah. uh, and we set up smart contracts where the slime molds can vote. Could we do that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, give, so so there's 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 a concept called quorum sensing, which actually like it's literally that they they actually stole they stole like techniques that bacteria use to communicate and applied it to blockchain. Really stuff yeah it's called quorum sensing you can it's q u o r u u m sensing but how does that work uh just it's just how, it's how clumps of cells like receive some threshold of input and know to send messages to the other cells to collaborate on something right so it's like it's like a yeah it's like yeah oh cool interesting all right. Well, this has been super fun. It's really uh, interesting. You're an interesting cat. Uh, and this has been uh, fun and also uh, intriguing in many ways. And you, uh, you, you've you've dropped some pointers for future research and uh, <laughs> reflection. So and also you've been uh, you're very personable and uh, pretty fun to talk with. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, likewise, Justin. All right. Uh, well, good to be in touch. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, share with the world while you're here? Uh. The whole I guess, world. Uh, shouts out. Let's do some shouts out. Shouts out. Shouts out to Shawnee Prince Hubris. He, he uh, fixed my gut bacteria. Shouts out to Bronze Age Pervert. 
Uh, shouts out to my good Bengali friend. Shouts to my girlfriend. I love you. Uh, yeah. Cool. Wait, real quick. I got to pick up on that. Are you, so are you friends with Bronze Age Pervert? Uh, I follow, I follow stuff. I think we're, we're mutuals. I, I think I, I completely, I agree. I'm as a biomechanist, you know, you, you just can't argue with what he, you know, what he's talking about. It's he's talking Greek natural philosophy and the kind of stuff he touches on. It's like, it's like, you know, the, 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 the most ergonomic, you know, perfect biomechanics were imbued to our culture at one point because we were hunter gatherers and we actually had to use our bodies. You know, that's, that's kind of what he gets on. So interesting. Yeah. He blocked me. I don't know why. Yeah. If you're in touch with him, if you're in his inner circle, tell him to unblock me. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, also tell him to do my live stream. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, okay. Uh, this is fun. Uh, sure, you got nothing else? Uh, no more shout outs? Uh, not really. I, I mean, I got some I, I some literature I can recommend to people, I guess. Uh, Valentin Turchin, The Phenomena of Science. Uh, applications of Automata Theory and Algebra by John Rhodes. Uh, Cognitive Science Introduction by Stillings and Feinstein. Do you have a blog or anything? Uh, yeah, it's uh, debayu.net. Debayu. That would D- be the site that the dialectical materialism is on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. The- I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I keep it updated with kind of my current progress on the continuous Automata stuff. Well, people like have my, my latest project. Cool. People have enjoyed this. So, um, yeah, if you want to check out. Uh, Anders stuff the there's a link in the description of this video so people can check that out um yeah trying to think if there's uh if there's anything else i want to say before before i let you go oh yeah just one quick thing are the, uh do you know other like weird interesting people in in the south of the u.s who are kind of like uh interesting hermetic geniuses working on weird stuff uh yeah, but they're not on the internet. They're all like meth heads. That's what that dude. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for meth heads. If you're looking for just smart, like tweaked out STEM people, you're looking for meth heads because they're the best chemists. You know. But are just, they actually are they actually like productive on significant things? I mean, what do you think? They're on meth. Of course they are, man. The ones that survive, the ones that get selected, man. It's like. So do you, you know, are you saying you literally know meth heads who are legit, really smart, and productive on interesting projects? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're. They're on meth all the time. Like, what else are they going to do, you know? All right, like, well, I might go on a book tour. So if I come through the south of the U.S., uh, I might hit you up, and you can introduce me to interesting people in the south, like meth heads. Okay, cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, cool. This is fun. It's, I'm, glad, I'm glad to know you, and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Justin. I'll see you another time. All right, I'll be in touch. Send me some right. links if you want, and I'll share it with people. All right, cool. All right, see you later, dude. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.